Welcome to the 42nd episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we talked about the kidnapping and murder of 19-year-old Mike Kinney in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language, so put your kids for- away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we'll make jokes and we will laugh during this episode. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Want to contact us? Shoot us an email at a truecrimepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. What's up, Mercedes? Oh, not a whole lot. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Trying not to catch COVID. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I just had a doctor's appointment via the telephone. Yeah. And I had to get I had screened. one the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wear my mask everywhere I go and, you know, just go about my day. Yeah, we have to. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> they mandated it, so yeah. we have to. I mean, I guess we could be real assholes and just refuse but well it's not mandated mask wearing is not mandated in in the state of florida or in our county it's just a couple of cities here and there that have mandated it yes i just wear mine i don't care i'm you know that's because i like i was thinking yesterday i'm like oh yay i don't have to put makeup on on the bottom half of my face (laughs) Uh, the only thing that kind of bothers me is that like if i put lipstick on or you know like lip gloss or chapstick it will get on my mask i'm like oh my lips feel so dry but other than that i'm good with it i you know whatever it's no big deal to me i know we have to go back to work i know so um yeah so oh i got a tattoo okay did i say that last time no, because you just got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've gotten two. This is actually take three of this recording. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I got a, I got a, I got a second tattoo because I yes, had one. Yes, the hummingbird, and it's yes. so pretty. Yes, it's colorful and pretty, and it's on your shoulder. Yes. And it says survivor. It That's does awesome. say survivor. Yeah. Maybe I should get a nose. Like a tattoo nose. <laughs> On your body? It's a joke. Okay, yeah, because that's not funny. No. <laughs> so yeah, People anyway. get some weird-ass tattoos. Yes, they, they do. They were telling me, real quick, I okay. don't know if I told you this, like, privately or not, but I asked, because they have signs saying that they don't tattoo minors. Uh-huh. Or they do. Yes, you did tell me this. But but, under, but not under the age of 16. Okay. And I'm like, do you have a lot of people trying to get their 15-year-olds or youngers tattooed? And they were like, yeah, you'd be surprised. And they, they said a lady totally pitched a Karen ass fit that they would not tattoo her 15 year old daughter's nipples. She wanted stars on each boobie. Yeah. I'm speechless right now. (laughs) I know. Right. Okay. Well, so there's, so the world is odd and this is why we have so many murders to investigate because of people like this. Yes. And speaking of that, the murder van, I saw the murder van while I was there. Oh yeah. It was like police investigating this like random smelly white conversion van type van. When you got there, there were the police there. Yes. Yeah. They were and it they, was across the street. Yeah. Oh God. I, I, and you sent me a picture, so we should post that on yes, our website. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. We're gonna we're gonna have like a creepy 
like we put the word murder in front of everything creepy you know like oh god look at that murder van or you know look at that murder pier so we're, we might incorporate that in our website yeah. somehow yeah. and I'll, I'll start posting that on my on instagram more okay yeah, because I don't know how to use Instagram, and yeah. I'm quite okay with that. <laughs> I do. Okay. So, do you want to tell him the news, or do you want me to? Guess what my son told me. Okay, what did your son tell you? So, last week, we talked about bull semen. No, we talked about horse semen. Oh, or did we? Yeah, because oh, yeah, I, I said, I don't want to hear the semen come out yes. of your mouth again. So, and I said how expensive bull semen was. And my, I, went, I texted my husband, and then he told me when I got home, he was like, yeah, our friend, whose brother does that for a living um said they're like tens of thousands of dollars for this particular bull semen it's like the most expensive one in the country so then my son pipes up with but horse semen is more expensive and right <laughs> yeah which is um if you listen to last week's episode you know that the the young man who was murdered he was his family had like pedigree horses at they did breeding, so that's where that came from. Yeah. Well, thank you for that information. You're Tens welcome. of thousands of dollars. Yes, like an obnoxious amount of money because these are like prize-winning bulls. I wonder if they're delicious. Not they're. to upset our vegetarians out there, but, you know, I, I like a good steak every now and then. I don't know if they breed them for that, though, or if they breed them for, like, rodeos. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, so do you want to tell everybody about the exciting news? Sure. Our 50th episode's coming up, so tell sure. us about that. So, as Mercedes just said, our 50th episode is coming up very soon, October 2nd, which is crazy that it's on around our anniversary, our, like, podcast anniversary. So, we have some giveaways planned for our It Wasn't Me listeners. So, between now and September 6, 2020, give us a five-star rating with a comment and send us a screenshot of the review after you've posted it, along with your shirt size and your mailing address. You can email all of that to us at a truecrimepodcast at gmail.com. And during our 50th episode, we will announce five lucky winners, and then you'll get some goodies from us. So, the five lucky winners will get the grand prize, and we might have some <laughs> smaller things also to send out. So, yeah, we're super excited. Help us out and possibly win a goodie bag. Yes. And I'm right. sorry I was coughing. That's okay. A while ago, I was like, I didn't even notice. <laughs> so, tell us, what do you have for us this week, Cindy? Okay. So, remember, was it last week that we, yeah, was that? Was it last week that we talked about Phil Spector and how... No, 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 no. Dr. Richard Sharp. When yes. you did... Yeah, and I said, why don't you do Phil Spector? Because I said that Dr. Sharp reminded me of Phil Spector. And he does. Are you telling us about Phil Spector today? I am telling you about Phil Spector oh, today. Oh, my God. Okay. So, I don't know anything about Phil Spector, aside <laughs> from I remember this media circus, but I don't remember anything else, so... Tell us. Okay. So I have a little sidebar here just because, you know, I wanted to lighten it up a little bit. And I don't know. I used to watch this TV show, TV show called Suits on USA. And the main character's name was Harvey Specter. And Phil Specter's real na- full name is Harvey Phillips Specter. Gee, do you think they might have done that on purpose? No, no. Because it's about a law firm. And Gabriel Mock is the guy who plays Harvey Specter. And he is way prettier than Phil Specter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Phil Specter is... I don't think he's pretty at all. No, but the fictional Harvey Specter is yummy. (laughs) All right. So let's start at the beginning. Now, for those of you who don't know who Phil Specter is, in his circle, in his world, he's very famous and very successful. And I'm going to get into that, but I'm going to back up a little bit. And just give you a little bit of background on him. Okay. All right. So Phil Spector was born, as I've already said, Harvey Philip Spector on December 26, 1939 to Benjamin and Bertha Spector, a first generation immigrant Jewish family 
in the Bronx. Okay. Which is New York, for those who don't know. Spectre's grandfather. Uh, can I ask just for a quick question? First generation immigrant means that they were born in the United States or they came over. So his parents were also immigrants or his, their parents were immigrants? I think that his grandparents were the immigrants. Okay. So, so they his, were the first generation. They were the first generation born in the United States okay, is okay. the way I'm reading it. And okay. that's because it says Spectre's grandfather arrived in America from the Ukraine in 1913. Okay. So he, be, now he didn't become a citizen until 1927. And he, okay, you ready? Yes. All right. He changed his name to George Spectre on his nationalization papers, meaning his last name was probably something else. Like I knew a guy whose last name used to be Jarzankowski and when they came here, they took off the Kowski. Yeah, a lot of play, a lot of people did that back yeah. then, definitely. Yeah. So they weren't, you know, persecuted and judged and, you know, right. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Or sometimes when they came through, like, Ellis Island, they the workers, whomever were there working, they either couldn't understand them, didn't know how to spell it, and a lot of times they gave them the last name of where they where they were from. Mm-hmm. So there's that too, mm-hmm. because like my um, my my birth name, because my dad adopted me, so I got I have his last name, but my birth name is actually the county from where the family where they immigrated from, immigrated from, yeah, okay, immigrated from, not yeah. Which they said that's not really like a Scottish name, but it was spelled, you know, I kind of because I kind of did some research on it. But anyway, so Spectre's grandfather arrived in America from the Ukraine in 1913. When he became a U.S. citizen in 1927, he changed his name to George Spectre, which I already said that. Bertha's father had also anglicized his name to George Spectre. So, so Bertha's father and Benjamin's father. Is it a brother and sister that got married? No. Well, it's speculated that they became citizens and they changed their names to George Spector. But one was done in 1923 and one was done in 1927. But the papers of both men were witnessed by the same person. Okay. So, uh, an Isidore Spector. The similarities in the name and the background of the grandfathers led Phil Spector to believe that his parents may have been first cousins. And and no, and basically like a genealogy researcher as I have been, it is, some of those records are very confusing. Like you have yeah. no idea what you're looking at. And they're uh, all handwritten. Yes. So sometimes they're really hard to read. And sometimes and, they're misspelled or whatever. Yes. Yeah, just okay. like I was saying about, you know, when they come through Ellis Island and that's but where he, they came yeah, from. I but, mean, they came through Ellis Island. Okay. Most likely. I mean, that's where people came from. I mean, uh, you can go look up your family yeah. history. Yep. Through there. So anyway, um, in April of 1949, when Spectre was about 10 years old, unfortunately, his father committed suicide. Aww. On his gravestone were inscribed the words, Ben Spectre, husband, father, to know him was to love him. I know, that's kind of sad. But I'm glad, I mean, it doesn't seem like, I mean, while that probably gave him some childhood trauma, it didn't seem to, um, it didn't seem like he, there was a lot of, like, the father was causing trauma. Like his murder, or his, not his murder, but his suicide might have caused some, some trauma, but I don't know, it didn't seem like he was a bad man, if they put that on us. Four years later, in 1953, his mother moved the family to Los Angeles. That's a pretty big, like, move from mm-hmm. New York with, you know, a family, your single mom now, and just to up and move and say, hey, yeah. we're going to move across, literally to the other side of the country. I, yeah, she. I mean, I'm guessing she may have had contacts or something there and possibly. had a job before she went. Yeah, possibly. But she got there and she became a seamstress. Oh, a lot of, uh, I guess in L.A. you would have a lot of work as being a seamstress, whether in costumes or, you know, so. the um, famous people wanting clothes. Yeah, whatnot. maybe. Yeah. yeah. So Spectre then became, um, he was went to junior high, which was... 
<laughs> well, that's part of the progression yeah, through the education yeah. system. So Spectre attended John Burroughs Junior High School, which is now John Burroughs Middle School, on Wilshire Boulevard. Then in 1954, he transferred to Fairfax High School. Um, he played guitar in high school. He um, had early performances, like live audience stuff for like talent shows and things like that. And he also performed Rock Island Line, which I have no idea what that is. I listened to it. Oh, you did? Yes. It's it's a very early, and it was performed by a guy named Lonnie Donegan, whom mm-hmm. I've never heard of. But he's one of the first rock and roll mus- musicians of the early 1950s. Really? And he really influenced a lot of your like early rock. Stuff? He definitely influenced the Beatles, the okay. Rolling Stones. Like some of those early, like like rock rock pioneers. So, yeah. So he did, um, I think Spectre did perform that in front of his um, His school. school? But, you know, I also learned that a lot of, he went to school with a lot of famous Mm -hmm. band members, which you're going to get to the next slide. Yeah. Um, So Spectre actually hung out with a loose knit group of aspiring musicians while he was in school, including Lou Adler. And who is that? Not a clue. But, he, I do know that he became a famous um, record producer. Okay. That's what I know about yeah. him. I don't know anything else about him other than what the internet told me. Okay. Um, and I didn't really look any further. Bruce Johnston, who was one of the Beach Boys. Stephen Douglas, a sax player who recorded with the Beach Boys and other famous bands. Sandy Nelson, who was one of the famous drummers of that era. And in 1958, Spectre started a band called the Teddy Bears with some of these guys. Their first record was To Know Him Is To Love Him, Aww. which was inspired by his the epitaph. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. On his father's tombstone. Did you listen to that song just I, out of curiosity? I didn't. Okay. I Did think, you? I'm, no, I didn't. But I think I might want to just because we know that th- that proves that he was affected by his dad's death. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And that's another reason why I think that, like, his dad was probably a good, you know, it, that wasn't just bullshit that they put on his uh-huh. tombstone. I, th- I think that he probably really was a great guy it's and a just battling. S- very simple statement. and Yeah, but it's yeah. deep. It is deep. And, you know, for someone to commit suicide, that indicates deep depression yes. or, yeah, other yeah. mental health issues. Right. Usually. You, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, Spectre married his high school sweetheart, Annette, just after high school, obviously, if she was his high school sweetheart. Right. You know, but well, they didn't they get married got, in they, school. They, they could have gone to college and come back years later, but yeah. they married right after. Oh, yes. Okay. And he actually named his first record company after her, Annette Records. Oh, okay. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Okay. In 1960, Specker, Spe- Spectre co-founded Phil's Records. It looks like Phillies, but it's I'm not actually, sure if it's Phillies or Phil. It's actually Phil Less because... His name okay. is Phil Spector, and then he was a co-founder, and he founded it with this other guy named Lester. I can't remember oh. Lester's last name, but it's kind of like a... Um, Not Phyllis, but Phyllis. Phyllis is how I would say it. It, okay. it. it could be Phyllis. I have no idea how you say it. Yeah. What I do know is that that's how they came up with a name, is they just oh, okay. took part of his name, part of the other guy's name, and put it together. Yeah. It looks like Phillies. Like, we could call you Cindy's, like Mercedes and Cindy. Yeah, yeah. My The, the road that my husband grew up on was Marin Drive and it's half Mark, half Sharon. Okay. There you go. You know, whatever. (laughs) 
right. Uh, Mercedes. Oh, and Mer- Mercedes. <laughs> Spectre was the youngest and um, the youngest successful U.S. label owner and record producer at the time. He was 21 years old and he was a millionaire. Oh, why? Why can't I have some? Well, you're other not talent? 21 anymore, so just so you know. I know. You look it, but you're not. That's all I this get- plastic surgery I'm having. <laughs> all right. So, um, Mercedes, I have not exactly looked up. I didn't know before this really what a record a music producer actually does for a living. I real I could have asked my husband, but meh. so a record producer or a music producer in Spectre's day basically oversaw and created the overall sound, recording, refinement of the album albums. Today's record producers are mainly music composers who arrange the vocal and instrumental sounds, often coaching the musical act. Back then, Spectre had his hand in creating the entire album, including financing and business partnerships. Today, producers are mainly music composers, while executive producers arrange the financing and business partnerships. Okay. He also had like he was famous for this thing called, thing called the wall of sound which yes you know it's kind of like I always kind of wondered like when I'm listening to a singer and she's singing or he's singing and then all of a sudden his voice comes in immediately after overlying like a harmony yeah but it's, you know it's that person it's singing it's just layering of that mm-hmm. artist's voice yes. and that's exactly what he was known for doing really yes so that, they have to record those separately and then yes. they mix them together yes. and he was the one who created it, that he sound he created that sound and he um he was kind of likened as like uh, a famous composer uh wagner um or wagner i don't know how you say it but he was he was kind of like an operatic um, celebrity of the rock and roll world because he wow. created like this that sound it wasn't just one dimensional he like added layers of like he would have the artist go in and sing like it he had true talent <clears throat> he had true talent he was a visionary god at the time. given visionary in the 19, talent late 1950s and through the 60s yes but i so mean he, he was uh he laid, was a superstar then laid the foundation for all yes that yes. we have today but, when it comes to this but also today you have computers and things and back yeah. then he didn't so he would do things like you had you to know, actually be a good singer but not only that you had to create space in your in your um, you had to create you know like our podcast mm-hmm. like okay so you guys don't see where we are but we have curtains everywhere we've got you know cushions up so that the sound you don't hear like an echo or anything like that right so you also had to create that space for the sound that you wanted so if you wanted an echo he had a room for that so for each sound that he wanted he would have them recording in different space so it was it was layered so he would have you know the first take and he would layer it all together on the album it so would the sounds up. would be different yes. yeah that's I mean, what he did that's why he was famous wow i i mean i saw and i'm probably not doing a great job of explaining no that, I but that's no i get it that's okay but i have a husband who's also musically yes. inclined mm-hmm. so and then i mean i know you hear of People saying, well, we recorded this song in a hotel bathroom. Right. Or we, you know, to get that crazy sound. Right. Because my husband was talking about recording something in the bathroom. I'm like, it's really echoey in there. He's like, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I'm right. like, oh, yes. okay. Because he did, he kind of like, um, he's famous for that echo sound, the echo chambers. And there's a there's a term for it. And I'm not a musically inclined person at all. So. Yeah. All right. So some of Spectre's acts include like some really famous people. Now, I've never heard of the Runnettes, but I sang a couple of famous songs like, um, okay, I'll look them up while you go because I looked it up okay. yesterday and they did sing some songs that I recognize, but oh, like okay. from the late, from the 60s. Okay. Like, so I might recognize them because my mom always listens uh-huh. to like, you know, okay. my mama had, my mama, my mama had uh, all the, uh, you know, when, 
She had like the where you could get the actual vinyl, like uh-huh. the sets yeah. that were on TV, and like we always had like lots of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you young people probably have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. Um, he also worked with Be at, My Baby. Like, oh, really? Be my. How do you sing it? Oh, I don't know. I know this. Oh, that's the song. I, I know, can't Be think my of baby. it, but I know. What I saw about. Mommy kissing Santa Claus. That was the Ronettes. That's what it says. Now, somebody else may have done it later, but oh, they, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. So Chapel of Love? The Chapel of I, the Love. The one I'm thinking. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. So he worked with the Beach Boys, uh-huh. which he went to school with, with some, some of those, those guys. guys. Yeah. Yes. Ike and Tina Turner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. What it, memory. Keep on rolling. rolling. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh-huh. And um, I like Tina Turner, not so much Ike. No. <laughs> and in 1969, he worked with the Beatles. Wow. And I don't think I said it, but he worked with the Ramones also. So. Yeah. You, oh, you didn't say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I um, like the Ramones. Weren't they kind of punky? I want to say that they were a little bit kind of like alternative. Like I don't. I don't know if that's. The, yeah. In my mind, that's what I have them kind of on yeah, the. Because like, that's the kind of music. Forefront I like. punkish type. Okay. You know. Me, I'll look it up. You not the on. Sex Pistol punk, but you know yeah. we're getting there. Right. Um. And you know just the fact that he worked with the Beatles and he produced their 1970 album Let It Be. He was the real deal. If he if everything else didn't say that he was knew what the hell he was doing. That does. Yes. Um, he also produced several solo albums or records for John Lennon and George Harrison. Again, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. By the mid-1970s, Spectre had produced 18 U.S. top singles for various artists such as Leonard Cohen. Now, I know who that is. I mean, I know the name, but I don't know, like, any of his music that that I'm aware of. I looked him up. I've heard his name before, and I didn't know any of the songs, but I know he's saying... He's I thought he was the, more like an artist. He's saying um, Hallelujah. Like, he's the first one who's saying Hallelujah. Oh, yes. really? Yes. And I don't know who, which one of these guys did, but... The Beatles did that one, too, though. Didn't yeah. they? Yes, but Leonard oh, okay. Cohen... Um, he probably maybe wrote it. I don't know if he wrote it, but I know he was one of the ones that sang it. He won oh, a Grammy or something for it. Okay, so I know um, that song. Also, I know that, and I don't know who sang this song, but that remember that sketchy little tune? Did he run, run, yeah. run? Okay. Spectre produced that song. Really? Yes. Damn. Okay, so Dion DiMucci. Yeah. Now, is that D De- like as De- in the song, the artist Dion? Uh, yeah. From the six from the fifties and sixties. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Now he's saying, um, not Rock and Robin, but around that kind of gener- that era. I don't know. When I think Dion, I think Rebel Without the a Wanderer. Cause. Yeah. A teenager. Why must I be teenager in a love? Teenager. Yes. Run yes. around Sue. Yes. Yeah. Teenager in love. I used to love that because it was on one of those albums that I was just talking uh-huh. about that my mom had. Yes, I okay. love that song. These are like my grandparents. This is like my grandparents. My mom always has, has like the oldies yeah. and stuff. So I grew up listening yeah, to that. Okay. All right. And then the Ramones. Um, his chart toppers included You Lost That Love and Feeling. Okay. You Lost. God, I hate that song. Elvis sang that song to you. I don't see. I don't know the Elvis version. I just know the Righteous Brother version. Okay. Okay. Right. So Long and then The Long and Winding Road, which I don't know that I one. I don't know that one either. Um, Hallelujah, like you already said. Um, according to BMI, You've Lost That Love and Feeling is the song that received the most U.S. airplay in the 20th century. Right. And so I'm sure Spectre is getting some sort of royalties. Like every time that song is used in the in, in music, anywhere, like in a movie or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't see anything in the research. And I don't think you did really did either was where he wasn't allowed to. He just can't earn money off of being in prison. Like he can't write a book about his whatever and earn money about that while he's in prison. But okay. all the stuff he did before, he should be receiving those royalties, in my opinion, regardless of what he did or didn't do. Or at least somebody from Clarkson's family should be earning some of those royalties and i'm sure and 
And we haven't gotten to Clarkson yet. No, so we here haven't. I am jumping ahead. But I don't know that's something that we might need to look up because I didn't see okay. anything about it, like a civil suit or anything like that. Okay. And maybe that just wasn't something that happened then. So Spectre's honors include a 1973 Grammy Award for Album of the Year for co-producing Harrison's, which is George Harrison, um, concert, of ba- concert for Bangladesh. And in 1989, induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. Big deal. 1997, he um, there was an inter- induction to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And in 2004, Rolling Stone magazine ranked Spectre number number 63 on their list of 100 greatest artists of all time. This man's talent cannot be denied, but he was he was a weird bird. In 1968, Spectre began an affair with Ronnie from the Ronettes. I'm sure his high school sweetheart was not really excited about that. Not at all, no. Which led to his divorce. Shock. He married Ronnie soon after that, but it didn't last long either. Spectre's domineering attitude toward Ronnie Spectre led to divorce in 1972. So they weren't married long. Ronnie claimed that Spectre show. Are you ready? Yeah. Showed her a gold coffin with a glass top in his basement, promising her that he would kill her and display her in the coffin if she ever left him. Okay, that's uh-huh. the shit I think about when I'm getting an MRI. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. All right. Um. He also was a quite jealous man and he would not allow her to open up with the Ronettes for Rolling Stone or tour with the Beatles for the fear that she might cheat on them. Um, Spectre reportedly kept her locked inside their mansion, hid her shoes so she wouldn't leave the house. You leave the house and you go buy you some new ones. I mean I realized there wasn't Target and Walmart hanging around probably in the you know, at, at this time, but I'd go buy me some... You would go barefoot into a place? No, I wouldn't. Okay. I mean, if my husband wouldn't give me my shoes, I guess I'd have to. Or buy some shoes next time I was out and, like, hide them in my purse. Yeah, because Amazon probably wasn't a thing back then. No, I'm, no. Yeah. They did have mail order catalogs. I mean, that's just weird that he kept her locked in the house. Yeah. Wouldn't hit her shoes? Like, yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. He also kept the house really dark because he didn't want anyone to see his balding head. Oh, you know, hair is a big thing for rock and roll, uh, yeah. rock and roll personalities. Like, you know, I know, but are yeah. people like looking in his house, or does it, or does that mean like when they come over? I don't know. I think he's just paranoid. He's something. Yeah. Spectre's son later claimed that he kept that he kept him locked in his room. Oh. With a pot, like a chamber pot in the corner, so he could use it as a toilet. Oh my gosh. So he Ew. Was he a drug user? Do we know that? We don't really know. We don't really know that. Uh, I mean, I know that later in life he's medicated. I'm going to guess that he's a he's a drug user, but that's my It sounds like yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So Ronnie Spector later would write a book about her experiences and she would say, "I can only say that when I left in the early 1970s, I knew that if I didn't leave at that time, I was going to die there. Wow. Despite Spectre's success in the music industry, he had some serious problems. Serious I mean, mental health issues, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Well, you know, when his dad killed himself, so, yeah. you know, that's her. It runs in the family. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Uh-huh. Success does not make you immune from mental health issues, sickness, and or death. Inspector was affected by personal struggles. Okay. Quite on. Um, I mean, his dad killed himself, and then there's some other things that happened later that are just sad. As the 1970s progressed, Spectre became more and more of a recluse. One of the biggest reasons is suspected for his retreat from the spotlight was a car crash in 1974. Okay. 
he was almost killed when oh. he was thrown through the windshield of his car oh. in the Hollywood area. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was only because the attending, like, police officer actually took the time to search for a heartbeat. You know, not just real quick, oh, I don't feel one, and we're moving on. He felt a faint pulse. So, um, Spectre was not clear- declared dead at the scene. Wow. Which, yeah. Because I could have gone if, you know, if he just said, oh, I don't feel it. And then he, he might have died, but because he took the time to, you know, to do right. his job. Um, he was attended at, or admitted to the, U- the UCLA Medical Center on March 31st, 1974. For serious head injuries that required several hours of surgery with over 300 stitches to his face. Oh, my God. And over 400 to the back of his head. That's 700 stitches on your head right. and face. God. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so his, I mean, that, okay, first off, your dad killing yourself. Then you've got into this car wreck where obviously you have a head injury. And then you have several surgery or uh, several long hours surgery. Then all these stitches. I mean, I can imagine that your self-esteem is probably kind of low and you're not doing okay. Mm-hmm. So after this accident, this is when he started wearing like really outlandish wigs. All right. And you're going to post a picture of this on our on our I am. website, right? The yes. sneak peeks, the sneak peek page. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So mo- the wigs were most likely to cover up his injury scars. Uh-huh. Because I imagine because it talked about his baldness, so maybe he was already balding and then the scars, you know, they that might have kept mm-hmm. hair from growing over. Yeah. So that probably but, added to but it. But the thing is, is that he wore bizarre wigs. Like, I've yeah, seen the did. picture of the wigs. Like, yeah. they are they are outlandish. Yeah, they're not. So he's a recluse, but he's drawing attention to himself with these looks. So yes. does he want the attention? Does he not want the attention? Is he trying to make people think that he's crazy? Or is that just an aspect of his his sanity? I wouldn't. I'm a very conservative know. person. Like, I don't want to stand out. Right. And these definitely And he's very stand. eccentric. Some of them okay. did. Some of them were like, okay, well, yeah, they might fit the time, yeah. you know, but then. Yeah. Some of them were like. like super like, crazy. You know, there's like a. The Afro um, one and. Uh, what's his name? Einstein. Yeah, there's Einstein hair. Yeah, and, yes, okay. yes, yes. So, okay. by the way, he wore these bizarre wigs every day at his trial. Okay. Like a different one every day. Like that doesn't draw attention to yourself not at all i mean was he trying to say well i'm gonna wear these different wigs so they just think i'm batshit crazy right he wasn't pleading he wasn't trying to say he did anything out of like insanity Okay. But um, Spectre produced um, during the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s. In early 1981, shortly after John's Lennon assassination, Spectre co-produced Yoko Ono's Season of Glass. I'm sure that was a hit. I'm not really sure. <laughs> she did have a hit, like, right after his his assassination, but I can't. And that might have been. It's not really my style of music, so I didn't no, really listen to it. I didn't think she was very talented. He attempted to work with Celine Dion on her album Falling Into You, but he had a falling out with her production team and stopped working on her project. Probably because he was yeah. so crazy. His most recent project, his most release, I'm sorry, his most recent release project was Silence is Easy by Star Sailor, who, I don't know who that is. So I actually looked up Star Sailor, and he's kind of like an alternative sound, like kind of okay. like that not quite punk, but the alternative Is sound. it like that? Um, it, I like the song. Electric? Um, like um, No, it's more kind of like along the lines of like um, 
the cult or like Depeche Mode. It's or... not quite as pop sounding as Depeche Mode, but okay. yes, and that he was originally supposed to produce the entire album, but was fired due to personal and creative differences. Okay, <sighs> yeah. One of the two Spectre produced songs on the album, the title track was a UK top ten, mm-hmm. and the other single being White Dove. So he only helped produce a couple of songs, and both of those were top 10 hits. So he's definitely talented, but nobody wants to work with him, it sounds like. he's very difficult to work with. And around, you know, you know how it is. There's always rumors. Right. Rumors had been circulating for years. The rumors were that Spectre had threatened members of the Ramones with a gun during sessions. Dee Dee Ramone claimed that Spectre once pulled a gun on him as he tried to leave a session. Drummer Marky Ramone recalled in 2008 that they were, meaning the guns, they were they were there, but he had a license to carry, and he never held us hostage. We could leave anytime we wanted. I'm sorry, somebody pulls a gun on me while I'm somewhere. I'm, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe you might feel scared to leave. And maybe that one guy might feel scared and one, one guy might not. But the perception would be different. Yeah. Depending on who you are. And I think later they talk about how there was always like. Some people are comfortable around guns. I'm not. So if I, you know, if I don't feel comfortable, yeah. I'm leaving. Yes. Especially if people are drinking. Oh, yeah. And I think it is said later um, that there was substance abuse mm-hmm. or I don't, I don't know if really abuse, probably substance abuse issues. And there was always alcohol fueled kind of right. things, but I don't know. I mean, some people, I guess, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Said some of his best acting was when he was high on heroin. So maybe I, I don't see how, if you're like, so that's drunk more important. Or on yeah. Drugs. I don't see how you could still function and do some of your best work that way. But I don't know. I, that has nothing to do with having a gun while you're working. No, with I'm other talking people. about the why right. would you be drunk while you're recording albums and right. stuff? I mean, yeah. I just seem like that's okay. not the time to be fucked up. Yeah. But stories of Phil Spector's gunplay mounted over the years. He was kind of like obsessed with guns. Okay. Including discharging a firearm while he was in the studio with John Lennon. Oh, my God. During the recording of his cover, Rock and Roll, placing a loaded pistol at Leonard Cohen's head during sessions for Death of a Ladies Man. And then, as I said, forcing Dee Dee Ramone to play bass guitar to Spectre's specifications at gunpoint. Interesting. That's just... Like, is that two separate occasions that he held a gun to Dee Dee Ramone? I mean, it sounds like it. I mean, did he not? I mean, were they were just like, this guy is so talented that we have to put up with his bullshit in order for us to be successful? I mean, was it like... Who knows if you, you know, if it was early in their career and this guy who's famous and has helped other people become famous... You know, we're going to put up with a lot of shit. Like all those ladies did with... With Weinstein. Weinstein. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, Cohen told Rolling Stone in 1978, Phil couldn't resist annihilating me. I don't think he can tolerate any other shadows in his darkness. So I guess he felt very intimidated by Leonard Cohen, but he helped him become successful. Which, I mean, that all to me just plays into ego and mental illness. Yes. The Ramones repeatedly had to play the opening chord to the song Rock and Roll High School for eight hours straight. Wow. One of the Ramones said that working with Spectre was a positive learning experience. And that chord really does sound really good. Is that like a, oh, we got rich off this, so I'm going to be like, yeah, Yeah, that was a learning experience. It's like this guy is an artist and he wants perfection and you're going to play that chord until it's perfect. Because remember, he's layering sound and he knows what he's listening for. So if that sounds good on the record, then um, there we go. Well, Marky Ramone said a lot of these things were overblown and a lot of these were alcohol-induced. Okay. Sorry. 
Um, years later, Johnny Ramone describes Spectre as a little man with lifts in his shoes and a wig on top of his head and four guns. Wow. I know, that's not very um, uh-uh. flattering. <laughs> as you can see, Spectre was highly talented, but a bit unstable. Like, he brandished his weapons and taking control of others by holding them hostage, so to speak. This pattern repeated itself again. February 2003. And then we actually, you know, really kind of before then, because there's some people that come forward. Yes. Yeah. So it repeated itself multiple times. Up to February 2003, at least. Yes. Okay. Yes. Have you heard the expression, where there's smoke, there's fire? I think so. Yeah. It sounds kind of like it's an old idiom. Smoke, there's fire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's something that I kind of say, you know, when I hear rumors and I'm like, well, there's smoke, there's fire. Uh Uh-huh. If it looks like a duck and it walks like like a a duck. duck. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. On February 3rd, 2003, Spectre was arrested on suspicion of murder after a body of a 40-year-old nightclub hostess, actress Lana Clarkson of Los Angeles, was found at his California mansion. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Police responded to a 911 call from Spectre's driver and discovered Clarkson, who had injuries consistent with a gun being placed in her mouth and fired. Ugh. I can't imagine how scared she must have been. Mercedes, I think this is a good time to pause and um, hear a word from our sponsors. All right, let's do it. Hey, everybody. I wanted to take a moment to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Best Fiends. Best Fiends, that's friends without the R, is a challenging puzzle game everyone is talking about. I love it because it's a perfect break from my true crime research. My brain loves to be challenged, and this game challenges my brain. But it's a casual game, so it's super relaxing. My son and I have been using Best Fiends as a fun way to connect. It's fun to casually compete with him. This mobile puzzle game is a five-star rated app with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of super cute characters to collect. I virtually have access to a whole beautiful world right on my phone. It's bright and colorful with great graphics and there's a story about each of these cute characters. I just unlocked Napoleon. He's the cutest little French roach you've ever seen. He has a cute little thimble crown and a matchstick scepter, but his area bomb will clear the board. New in-game challenges and events every month makes the the game fresh and exciting every time you play. You'll never be bored. You can even play the game without using wide Wi-Fi. No bandwidth? No problem. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game. So join me, my friends and family, and millions of Americans who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now back to the show. Lana Clarkson. She was pronounced dead at the scene. Her body was found slumped over in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth with broken teeth scattered all over the carpet. Now, I'm assuming, originally when I read that, I thought maybe, like, the teeth were broken when a gun was jammed in. But I'm really thinking now that it was probably when the gun was fired because, you know, there's that recoil. And it probably did bust out all her teeth. Oh, God. I know. Ugh. When a police arrived, they say Spectre was at first dazed and very drunk. But then he became very pissy and belligerent. At the time of the arrest, the transcripts of what I assume are like body or dash cams, because I'm sure they weren't just recording. Mm-hmm. I don't I mean I could be wrong, but that's it didn't say where the recorded where the transcripts came from. Okay. So I just assume that it was body cams or dash cams. Okay. I don't even know if they had them then in 2003. Well, I don't know. So these they show a sign of force by police. Now, if they're showing up to a suspected murder 
and the guy is still there, I, I assume that there's going to be probably some force. Well, he was eventually tased by police because in the transcripts, they talk about cutting the wires, like cut the wires before you, you know, pick him up. And he's all, I, I read all the transcripts and he's, you know, being a crybaby, really kind of, he goes from asshole to why are you doing this to me to belligerent asshole again. And this was in 2003. Didn't the LA police have like a really bad reputation at that time? Wasn't that? Well, that was kind of after, that, that was like after. Earlier in, that was in the 90s. And they that, had that was bad. the 90s. Okay. Yeah. This all is right. kind of like the new LAPD Right. Or like the reform they're trying to work so their way out of. So let's tase a five foot four man. So he must have really been like out of belligerent. Control. Okay. Yes, I'm I'm thinking so. All right. And then he might have been. You don't know who I am. You know, he could have been that guy too. Yeah. They were like, oh yeah. Well, oh, yeah. You're, you're human. This, Here you go. You live in this fancy ass castle. Let me just tase you. Like like what we talked about last week with um, Todd Miller maybe being jealous of uh, Mike Kinney. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe the police. I don't know. I'm speculating. I have no idea what happened that yeah. night. Because it doesn't really describe why he got tased. Just, uh-huh. to, I mean, other than he's being, calling them fucking assholes. Hey, yeah. asshole, get your, and then they're like, you know, get your foot off my back. Why are you doing this to me? Jesus Christ. Well, I didn't he, mean to do he it. And resisted you know. arrest. Yeah. You don't do that. No, okay. no. All right. So remember, and, and I want to say he's not very big. No. He's like 5'4", petite looking yeah he puts lifts in his shoes and yeah stuff, so he's little he's li- okay he's a little guy all right all right so specter did an interview with a reporter from esquire magazine in 2003 july of 2003 and he told the reporter that clarkson's death was an accidental suicide and that she kissed the gun oh my god so he's talking about the death with reporters only five months afterwards yeah i mean his attorneys must be freaking having a cow right now <gasps> oh well <laughs> Which one? Okay, so we're going to talk about this, right? <laughs> he goes through okay. a plethora okay. of attorneys. All right. All right. On November 20th, 2003, Spectre was indicted for Clarkson's murder. In September 2004, he was ordered to stand trial in L.A. On October 28th, 2005, a judge ruled that potentially damning statements that Spectre allegedly made, that they could be used at trial. And that's like the transcripts of what happened on the scene. And then there are some transcripts of like actually at the station. And I read those as well. And he's pretty much he's kind of in and out of it he's like asking for a lawyer and then he's like they're like do you want to talk to a detective and he's like well I need my phone call first they're like well we've already given you a phone call and he's like well I need another phone call so then they get it approved for him to have three connected phone calls so the way I'm understanding it is if he calls and no one answers that doesn't count as like his call Um, but then there's like his assistant and maybe an attorney friend that show up and he's like well can I see them and they're like no, you have to talk to us first. You're not getting visitors yet. And so it was just kind of back and forth with a lot of that. And just the, she kissed the gun. She made an accident. You know, she, this, I didn't do this. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sorry it happened. You know, it's kind of like crazy talk. It really was kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. So the judge ordered that all of that could be submitted in, into evidence. Spectre's lawyers did, however, try to suppress the statement Spectre made to his chauffeur. So when the chauffeur called 911, he said, my boss just came out of his house and said, I think I killed somebody. His lawyer argued that these comments attributed to the music producers, attributed to him, like that, that they should be thrown out because he was suffering from prescription drug withdrawal symptoms. Okay. Now, I didn't read anywhere else what kind of drugs it was, what kind of prescription drugs, but I'm kind of thinking that maybe he was on meds and he stopped taking them. And that can that can really put you into a mm-hmm. tailspin. Yeah, like you, definitely. 
you know, or he maybe he was self-medicating and he decided I can't do this anymore and he was going through withdrawals and withdrawals are no joke. Two months before Clarkson's death, Spectre was interviewed by the British Daily um, Telegraph, by a British Daily Telegraph reporter. And he told that reporter that he had bipolar disorder and that he considered himself relatively insane. Now, admitting you have bipolar, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of a big deal, especially, you know, in 2003, 2005, that, that, or this was before, so 2003, I don't think that it was really looked at as more, as normal, I mean, I, I'm not normal, but it, it's no excuse to murder someone, no, 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 no matter what, but I think it was more like, oh, he's got bipolar, oh, he's crazy, yeah, yeah. You know? why are you such a recluse, why are you so yeah. odd, where now, yeah. today, people are very open about bipolar disorder, well, people are open about mental health issues, more so now, anyway. more so now, anyway, than ever before thank yeah. goodness yes they Let's need to be sweep it under the carpet no no this is just... manifesting in deadly ways clearly just because you have bipolar does it mean that you're insane no definitely not so i don't know if he was like embarrassed and then he said i have bipolar and i consider myself relatively but, insane I mean, or i mean i don't know why he would have said that okay the judge in the trial also ruled that transcripts from the deposition specter had made several months before clarson's death could also be introduced into prosecution okay. of the trial. so all everything that he has said to the press or anything like that that's public it can be used at trial yeah i think yeah specter remained free on a one million dollar bail while awaiting trial which had been scheduled postponed scheduled postponed several times finally march 19th the trial would begin 2007 2007 yes four years after her yes the shooting Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Larry Paul Fiddler stated that he would allow Spectre's trial to be televised, which is kind of one of the first ones. I mean, OJ, I think, was the first. Okay. But, so this was still a relatively new concept, I guess. I mean, I think, was the Menendez boys televised? I don't remember. Well, though he had also indicated that he would shut that shit down if the media abused their access. Did he say shit? No, that's me. Okay. Okay. No, I'm sure that that's what he alluded to. I was possibly down. So anyway, jury selection began on Monday, March 19th, 2007. 300 prospective jurors were screened over two days. Those not granted hardship exemptions by Fiddler completed a 28-page questionnaire, including questions like, are celebrities entitled to act as they please? Uh, no. And should police treat celebrities with greater leniency? Uh, no. Which I'm sure they do. But did they let him have three phone calls? Because would they let me have three connected phone calls? Right. So, mm. okay. But voidier, which is basically when potential jurors are questioned by both sides and they're expected to be truthful. They ask them, like, answers like the death penalty. What do you think about that? And sometimes they ask them, like, crazy questions Mm -hmm. and you're like, why are they asking these questions? And it's really like a psychological Yeah. Thing. Okay. Um, a jury of nine men and three women, along with four male and three female alternate jurors, were sworn in on April 19th, 2007. A list of possible witnesses shown to prospective jurors included longtime Spectre Studio associate Hal Bain and Nino Tempo, limo driver Andre- Andreno, no, Adriano, Adriano Del, Del Zuza, and writer Ann Beats. Now, I have a question. Do they always show? I mean, have you ever been on a jury? Yes. Did they show you the witness list? They usually ask, do you know any of these people? Oh, okay. So they would need to. Just because they don't want you to be friends with or enemies of anyone who's a witness. So, yes, they do. They... 
I, I've been be on the jury one time and I want to say that they did ask. Really? Yeah, and okay. I didn't know any of the I didn't know any of the names. I remember that there was um, a high school principal or a middle school principal who knew one of the witnesses who was testifying and so he was let go. He got to leave immediately. Immediately, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. And then they asked questions like, you know, what is your stance on the Second Amendment? Um, because the one that I was a jury I was a juror for was a gun tra- like it was it was a like murder a charge. Offense. It was a attempted murder charge. Ooh. And you know, they ask you, what is your, what is your stance on guns? Uh-huh. And, you know, what, do you feel it's ever okay to shoot a gun in self-defense? That kind of thing. Yeah. Did you, did you go through, were you, were you chosen? I was, I was chosen, yes. Oh. Uh-huh. Yes. Was it totally boring or were you like, oh, no, it. it wasn't boring at all. Mm-mm. Nope. I've only been chosen for jury duty once and it got. It wasn't as glamorous as I thought it would be. It was just normal. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Well, mine, I had to reschedule because of, I was going out of town. I was going to like a convention, so I res- which I had already paid for. Uh-huh. So I rescheduled it, and then and then I guess they settled. So I never had to show up. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. that's the one. Because you have to call time. in the morning. Like you call in the morning, they tell you, okay, yes, the trial's still on. Be here at whatever time. I just, and and it didn't even get that uh-huh. far. I got an email saying then, you're not needed. You like we got to leave for lunch. But we were not allowed to talk about the trial or anything about the trial whatsoever at lunch. That would be so difficult. Um, it it really wasn't because, mm. or to me it wasn't. Okay. You know, to me it wasn't. But, I mean, I'd probably yeah. eat lunch by myself anyway. I'd be like, don't talk to me. No, we all but. went to some cafe mm. or something by the courthouse. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry for the little derail there. So prior to and during the trial itself, Spectre went through... Three sets of attorneys. Sets. Three sets of right, attorneys. Right, because somebody of his stature would have a team of attorneys working. So right. he had three teams of attorneys. Yes. So he's difficult to work with in the music world and... In personal. In personal. Yeah. Issues. Okay. Yeah. Clearly. All right. All right. So again, I'm guessing that Spectre might be difficult to deal yeah. with. <laughs> Defense attorney Robert Shapiro. Oh, uh, the original, I know that name. Yeah. Dream Team. Original OJ... Simpson, okay. dream All team right. member. I can um, picture his face. Yep. Uh-huh. He was the first to represent Spectre uh-huh. at his arraignment and even um, early pretrial hearings. He's the one who arranged his release on a $1 million bail. Okay. Spectre eventually fired and, re- and entered into a civil suit with Shapiro in so order. He fired Shapiro? Yes. Oh, my God. In order to, he tried to sue him in order to reclaim his $1 million retainer that he had paid to Shapiro. But in 2015, he dropped the all the claims against him. Shapiro was replaced by Leslie Abramson and Marsha Morrissey. 2005, he dropped those claims, not 2015. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Uh, and then he was replaced by Lever- Leslie Abrams and Marsha Morrissey. Now, Leslie Abrams, that n- name stood out to me, and I was like, I know that name. And so Abrams I or Abramson? Abramson. Okay. She is the one who represented Eric and Lyle Menendez. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, they killed their parents slaughtered them in like horrible fashion right i remember when that happened and everyone's like oh they're so cute they're so psycho they in turn leslie and this marsha person were later replaced by bruce cutler the former longtime attorney for new york city's mafia boss john Gotti. oh god yeah but i imagine that john Gotti is probably difficult to deal with so maybe he was able to handle specter like i'm not scared of you i represent john Gotti. 
Yeah. Remember that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. And he probably represents other people of that stature. Right. Spe- uh, Cutler left Spectre's defense on August 27, 2007, <laughs> claiming a difference of opinion with Mr. Spectre on strategy. So, you know, it's really hard to deal with some of the mental illness. And if that was the reason, he, they're, they're not trying to say he's insane at all. They just Mm-mm. keep bringing this up. Oh, well, he's on pills or whatever. He's being treated for mental health issues. But to me, that's another example of mental health you can't or you refuse to let someone do their job their mm-hmm. professional job and they finally just get fucking fed up and they're like well, yeah i'm out so he so that's really his fourth that's his fourth set of attorneys so i have a question yeah. about that okay. don't they have to have the judge's permission to excuse themselves so like once the trial starts i'm not really sure honestly i want to say that what uh, is that called not excusing it's um irreconcilable different i don't no, know it's like um I don't think there's that, a term for it. I don't think the I know that um, I, I know Re- that people who are on trial recluse, can ask re- the judge re- to recluse them. No, I don't, know. I don't know. Let's just keep going. Recuse. OK. They recuse, recuse themselves. themselves. Okay. Yeah. Attorney Linda Kenny Baden then became the lead attorney for closing arguments. So this is like different lawyers during the entire. It changed five times. Time. Yeah. yeah, the entire time. But maybe they were all on teams. And so then he was like the lead attorney and he was like, I can't do this. So then she stepped up and he was just like left the team. Okay. Okay. So that's what I'm thinking is they were all part of like these teams. Because like so, you said, uh-huh. I mean, look at OJ had freaking like five people on his team. Spectre's issues with his revolving door of attorneys caused issues with his defense. Obviously. Yeah. Attorney Douglas Sorrento, Sorrento, Sortino. Sortino demanded that defense attorney Robert Shapiro turn over a torn piece of Lana Clarkson's fingernail blackened with gunpowder powder residue to be used as evidence. So when Shapiro left the left as being the attorney, he took some evidence. How does the defense have evidence? Do they not have to give that to the prosecution has They're to give all to. the evidence to you? Yes. So how would he have a piece of fingernail? I mean, how do you even say this is her fingernail? And I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't seem right. But what? But yeah. Okay. Sortino said the nail was overlooked during the crime scene investigations and would be useful in determining whether Clarkson was murdered or committed suicide. But who's to say he didn't make her hold the gun? But then wouldn't he? Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. There's questions. Yep. The entire case was a media circus, which I'm sure you can imagine, which the defense tried to contain. In November 2004, a judge ruled grand jury transcripts transcripts should be made public in the Spectre's murder case and disregarded arguments from the defense attorney, Bruce Cutler, stating the documents were full of lies. The transcripts revealed that Spectre told police he had mistakenly shot Clarkson despite his later claims that she committed suicide. Okay. Despite these issues, the trial moved forward on April 25th, 2007. So at one point, Spectre actually told police that he's the one who shot Clarkson. And then later on, he's claiming that it was suicide. Yes. So the defense obviously is trying to get that thrown out. But yes. judge says no. Okay. No dice. So let's um, back up. So so there, oh. the, so the trial's starting, right? Yes. So, okay. And so I'm going to go into, I'm going to kind of jump back a little bit. And I want to give you a, the, the, um, like a list, a uh, recall of the events that happened that night. And as presented at as trial. As presented at okay. trial. Yes. Okay. All right. So on February 2nd, 2003, Spectre had a night on the town. His chauffeur drove him to numerous spots, dinner at a fancy restaurant, and then he hit um, about four different night spots, drinking quite a few drinks along the way before he ended up at the foundation room which is a vip club in the house of blues where he met 40 year old lana lana clarkson she was working as a hostess to 
to make ends meet while she continued seeking acting jobs. But according to prosecutors, Clarkson, who was about 5 feet 11, told friends that she initially took Spectre, who was only 5'4", inches tall, and was wearing a shoulder-length brown hairpiece, which is probably one of the ones that we saw. I mean, it might have been a different one. Who knows? But she kind of, she thought he was a woman. Because he was petite and, you know, Uh a lot shorter than her, like 6 inches, 7 inches shorter than her. She didn't want him to even, she didn't want to even let him in the VIP room because she had no idea who it was. So she's a hostess and she makes sure that only celebrities or whatever enter this VIP room. Yes. And he comes up. She's like, this is an odd little man. He looks like a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm not letting this guy in. Right. right? Okay. However, her manager told her to treat Spectre like gold. Yeah, let him in. He's gold. Treat him like a VIP. Yes. And despite her hesitation about him, she left with with Spectre, jumping into his chauffeured Mercedes. I mean, if you move out to LA and you're trying, I mean. I mean, who knows why somebody leaves a bar with someone they just met? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I have done it before. But I'm just saying and, that in and, this and, and it has nothing to do with sex sometimes. No. You know, just like, I'm not ready to go home yet. Right. Let's talk or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Go to another bar or whatever. But yeah. I'm thinking, like, come hang out with me, you know. And But I'm thinking because of who he was, she might have been thinking this is her chance okay. to kind of get in with someone who mm-hmm. could further her career. And there's nothing wrong with that. But she's 40. I mean, in but, L.A. age, okay. that's ancient, isn't it? I'm, I have. I don't know, but there's lots of... Now, the the, the actors that come to mind that start I mean, acting when they're older are generally men. Okay. I can't tell... You know, I know yeah, that, like... Whatever. Um, Maybe it's her ticket. You're right. Okay, you know, who knows? But she was very youthful looking, too. She uh-huh. didn't... She you know, was beautiful. She was beautiful, okay. yes. They drove about 40 miles from the music club. Okay, that would freak me out. <laughs> yes. The 40 yes. miles. You know, if it's like, like where you know, the hell are we going? Uh, if Uber's not going to drive me home at a reasonable rate, I'm not going... <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 40 miles from the music club to Spectre's mansion, which was plopped right down in the middle of a middle class suburb. Wow. Just very odd. Or maybe they it's, built it around. Could be. Definitely. Definitely. But it, it was out of place no matter what. Right? Yeah. I yeah, mean. It stood out. What I'm thinking middle class suburb, even in California, wouldn't have any, wouldn't have a house known as the castle in it. Right. Unless it was like... And it actually looked like a castle. Yes. It had turrets and everything. It had turrets yeah. and 33 rooms. So that's not like a, just this, oh, the castle down the street, this house right. that somebody built. It's made. kind of like, you know, look at me way above all of you. Yes. yes. And it sat on three acres and was surrounded by a gate. About two hours after Spe- Spectre and Clarkson entered the mansion, the chauffeur said that he heard a pal. Pew, pew. And got out of his car to see what the noise was. He couldn't figure it out. So he got back in the car and, and you know, to wait. A short time later, Spectre stepped out of his mansion wearing a white jacket with a gun in his hand. And it was around 5 a.m. and said, I think I killed somebody. The driver testified that he then asked, well, what happened, sir? And Spectre responded by shrugging his shoulders. Okay, so. Are you so chauff- fucking out of your mind that you're like, ah. The chauffeur testified that he walked out of the mansion with a gun and a white jacket it on mm-hmm. and said, I think I killed someone. Yes. Okay. All right. I mean, I just picture him going, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. 
So the chauffeur said that he looked past Spectre into the foyer of his castle-like home and saw legs of the lady. He told the jury, I stepped inside, saw the blood on her face. The defense tried to suppress the chauffeur's statement of what Spectre said, but the judge was like, yeah, I don't think so. No. Because that's firsthand. That's not hearsay. Right. I mean, like, that's first person And and if it's uttered, like, okay, so he called... this guy, this is the guy who called 911, the yes, chauffeur, right? Is. I think mm-hmm. you might talk about that later. But um, it would be hearsay to say, oh, yeah, well, in a conversation, he told me he killed her. But if he came out, like, right after it happened and right. said it, that would be considered an excited utterance. Right. And you could include that as evidence. Yes. Prosecutors showed the jury a film in which the chauffeur demonstrated to the sheriff's department detective where he was standing when Spectre emerged from his house and allegedly said, I think I killed somebody. Okay. The prosecution presented evidence that showed that Clarkson was killed by a single bullet from a third caliber Colt Cobra. Four rounds were still loaded in the handgun, and those rounds were a plus P, which has been described by authorities as obscure and as an obscure type of ammunition. And obscure means like it's like not odd. well used. Not well known. It's so I'm guessing I'm thinking like expensive, not people don't use it often. Yeah. Okay. Maybe um uh outdated. Maybe they don't make it anymore and okay. he just had a bunch of it. I I don't know. There were eleven other guns in the house that were also loaded with this same type of ammunition, which according to prosecutors proves that the gun belonged to Spectre and not Clarkson. The defense suggested that there was a there was little to tie the gun to Spectre other than the bullets, but a holster the size of the Colt Cobra was found in the top drawer of a dresser in the foyer in, in his home. So you know how sometimes you know people keep guns wherever. And so, like, probably right there, like, in a little type desk dresser-looking deal in front of the door. So, he could just pull it out if he needed it. So, plus P means um, plus pressure. It's got more pressure. It's got more pressure. So, basically, higher muzzle velocity and stopping power. So, it's more potent. Oh, wow. It's, yeah. It's in, a, <laughs> in a powder room off the foyer. Is that a bathroom? Yes. Okay. Police recovered a cloth diaper soaked with Clarkson's blood. They also found a used cocktail glass, which they will find kind of cocktail glasses all over the house. All right. So because they were there drinking and getting to know each other and apparently kissing guns. Okay. So Clarkson's blood was also found on stairs leading to the mansion's second floor. Prosecutors claim that Spectre engaged in a pathetic cleanup attempt instead of phoning the ambulance, where he should have immediately called 911, but instead he freaked out probably and tried to clean it did a pathetic mm-hmm. excuse for cleaning it up. In Phil Spector's living room, detective found detectives found lit candles, an empty bottle of tequila, and an additional cocktail glass. Oh yeah. Nothing good happens when you have a bottle of tequila. No. And Especially an empty one. Most likely will not remember it. Yes. The defense presented its own theory of the evidence. One of Spectre's attorneys said that DNA on the top of the bullets loaded into the Colt Cobra the part that you touch, you know, when you load a gun, Mm -hmm. matched Clarkson's DNA and that of a second unknown individual, but not Spectre. But during the prosecution's case, a criminalist testified that Clarkson's DNA was actually found in an area that included the tips of the bullet. Prosecutors suggest the DNA from spots of blood thrown from her mouth when the gun discharged. Okay. So maybe it, like, flew in the barrel. Okay. The defense introduced a photo of a gun discharging to demonstrate the amount and direction of a gunshot residue produced by the firing of a weapon. A defense expert um, also testified that Spectre did not have enough residue on his clothes and hands to support the prosecution's theory that he fired a gun. Okay. Now, can is it easy to wash 
gun residue I don't off of think you? it will come off, but I don't know if you're using like cleaning supplies or something. Like if he did a half ass attempt of so like I'm picturing the scene. So but you just said that there were there was blood on the there was blood on the stairs. So uh -huh. they're saying that after the shot after she was shot someone must have gone upstairs and since he was the only other person in the house it had to have been him it had to have been him went upstairs she, she was dead the cloth the diaper in the bathroom she could not have put that there nope according to the defense mercedes buttons on clarkson's jacket sleeve were smeared with brain tissue residue oh my god no suggesting that her hands were near her mouth when the gun went off uh, if somebody was trying to put a gun, if somebody was forcing a gun in my mouth, my hands would definitely be like trying to pull the gun yeah. out of my mouth. Yeah, that so is sure. That yeah. doesn't seem odd. The defense has said that the fact that no such tissue was detected on Spectre's garments indicated that he was not near the shooting. I mean, because if he if he was the one who shot her in the mouth, I mean, you would think he would have blood on himself too, right? So this is what the defense is saying. Yes. Okay. All right. The Colt Cobra gun was found by Clarkson's left side. So, like, it was dropped wherever. And I guess he picked it up because didn't I say that he came outside with the gun? Yes. That Well, the chauffeur said that, yes. And with blood on uh -huh. his hands. Right. So she was right-handed. Prosecutors say this is evidence that Spectre staged the scene. Well, if he if the chauffeur is testifying that when he walked out, he was wearing a, a white jacket and he had a gun in his hand, then when police get there, they find this thirty eight Colt Cobra. By her hands. Yeah. By her left side. Then, you know, either the chauffeur is lying or Spectre's lying. So that's what the defense is trying to say. Or maybe this he picked just, up another gun. Could be. Because they did say he had 11 in Maybe the, house. the gun wasn't, uh, the she shot herself with wasn't his. I think that's where the defense is going here. Yeah, they, they're they mm -hmm. trying to say that that gun was hers, okay. but it had the, the bullets. And maybe he said, I don't know. All right. Or me, yeah, I, I don't know. So they said that this was evidence that he staged the scene, but the defense says someone may have kicked or otherwise moved the gun. Okay. A criminalist said that he saw blood in the words engraved on the Colt uh, Cobra 38 special that killed her. Oh, so there was blood on it inside the engraving. Okay. Clark's rhinestone trimmed slip dress was splattered with blood. Crime scene technicians photographed blood splatter on the arms of the low chair where she was sitting at the time of her death. The point of this was to show that Clarkson had blood, that there was splatter everywhere, but none was found on Spectre. Okay. The trial was surrounded by controversy from the start. So do you know who Henry Lee is? I know that name. Okay. He's a famed forensic expert. Okay. And he provided key evidence in the O.J. Simpson trial. All right. So this famed forensic expert, Henry Lee, was accused of hiding crucial evidence that the district attorney's office claimed could prove Spectre's guilt. Now... I don't believe that. Is he the same guy who testified? God, he's testified a lot. I watched something recently that he testified in, and they really were trying to, like, debunk a lot of things that he was saying. And I can't remember what trial it was, but it was, like, a big one. Oh, you know how I watch all that stuff. I like the autopsy shows and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, furthermore, a coroner who examined Clarkson's body concluded that bruising on her tongue indicated that the gun was shoved in her mouth. Mm. 
Now, I kind of would think that he, that the gun would bruise her mouth regardless. Especially when it went off. But if she's still, question is, does bruising occur after you're already dead? And I know that they have this thing called where your blood, like um, gravity pulls your blood down. So it looks like bruising on your skin. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you actually would bruise, you know, if he was shoving the gun in her mouth, like really hard, it would bruise it. Right. And then... I think that, like, it's post-mortem bruising, but I think that, like, you have to already have that trauma, and then the bruising kind of happens afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that there's any bruising after. Okay. Despite these setbacks, Spectre's defense team had a breakthrough on June 12th, 2007, when Los Angeles Sheriff's criminalist DNA expert stated that Clarkson's DNA was found on the handgun, which aided Spectre's defense that she shot herself. The DNA expert also found none of Spectre's DNA on Clarkson's Clarkson's fingernails, which hurt the prosecution's argument that Clarkson struggled. So they were saying that she was struggling because, you know, she was, like Uh you said, my hands would be around the gun too. Right. But I would also probably be clawing at the person who had the gun. But that doesn't mean that she wasn't, I mean, maybe she wasn't clawing. Maybe she was hitting. Maybe she was pulling. Right. However, the prosecution obviously disagreed. And they showed photos that pointed out the dinner jacket that Spectre had been wearing when he approached the chauffeur. The white lady's dinner jacket Spectre was wearing the evening of the shooting was found on the floor of the master bedroom where small droplets of blood were found on the jacket. Okay. Also, a criminalist testified that lab tests showed Lana Clarkson's blood on the inside of Spectre's pants pocket. Okay, so I just had a brain... Epiphany? Yes. Okay, what? What if he did it while he was naked and he took a shower? That's what I was thinking. Like, or, and then... But, I mean, did they... That's, if we're asking why didn't he have tissue and whatnot on there, maybe he was like, you know... Maybe they're getting freaky or he was getting freaky and then he shot her. Right. And flipped out and went and took a shower and changed his wig because you would think that shit would be in his wig too but he can change his hair. Yeah. Or he didn't have it on. (laughs) Or that. Okay. I mean, we don't know. This is complete, like, speculation, but I'm sure these are the things that these smart lawyers thought of. Right. Right? Well, the autopsy performed by Louis Pena showed Lana Clarkson died with a single, single shot, bullet shot. What am I trying to say? A single bullet severed her spine. Okay. So when she was shot, it severed her spine. That's what killed her. Pena said that he could not determine how she died by medical evidence alone. But other than the um, the other evidence convinced him, convinced him that it was a homicide. So he couldn't really say if it was suicide or homicide. But with all the other evidence, like medically, when he did her autopsy, if they didn't have any of this other stuff, it would have maybe been inconclusive because he couldn't decide whether it was suicide or homicide. Well, but it was found on the left side of her body. She was right hand in the, looking but all at all the, the other evidence. Right, that's what I'm okay. saying. But if uh-huh. they didn't have all that, like if she was just found in an alley, they okay. might not have been able to say whether it was suicide or homicide. Right. A sheriff's department photo shows a brandy snifter and an empty bottle of tequila, like I already said, uh-huh. and a bottle of club soda also on the coffee table in Spectre's living room. So were they drinking... Club soda with tequila? Who knows? That sounds terrible. The Sheriff's Department photo shows an investigator looking into a leopard print pocketbook that was on Clarkson's shoulder. So she had her purse on her shoulder. She's ready to get the hell out of there. I would think so. Uh-huh. But how did he... Yeah, I don't... This is so strange. Yeah. It's just... It is a strange one. I'm wondering if this was to show the gun size. Like, if like if it was hers, did that gun... Were they going through it to see if, like, it fit in her purse? Uh-huh. Or what was the... Or maybe they were trying to find like, out who was she was. what was the point of them looking into the leopard? 
shepherd sized pocketbook? That's a good question. It was on her shoulder, which indicated that she did not feel comfortable there. If I feel comfortable somewhere, I'm going to put my purse somewhere. Yeah. If I'm like, um, don't feel comfortable here and I'm going to be ready to leave any minute, I'm going to have my purse on my shoulder. Right. Um, but why look into that? Is that just to show that maybe the gun wasn't in there? I mean, who knows? Or, I mean, they had to find out who she was. So maybe they just took pictures of everything that yeah. they were doing, okay. which is smart. Yeah. The prosecution also called witnesses to testify about Spectre's pattern of behavior, particularly with guns and his habit of pulling them on women. So we already know he pulled them on some of the uh, his the Ramones. We're yes. talking about that. So we know that he likes to brandish his gun. Yes. All right. But you've got more. Yes. All right. So Dorothy Mel- Melvin, who dated the producer in the, in the early 1990s, testified that a drunken Spectre pistol whipped her with a revolver and pointed a shotgun at her. Holy shit. Right? I mean, you would think these rumors would be flying and everybody would know about this crazy ass bastard. Prosecutors, prosecutors also brought up a 1991 incident in which a woman claimed that when she was visiting him, he forced her to spend the night in a chair while he pointed a gun at her, at her head, and yelled profanities. Oh, wow. That makes me think that that's probably what he was doing to the Clarkson. Right. Defense attorney Bruce Cutler argued that none of these allegations were true and that the women were gold diggers. Of course they were. How do they all come up with the same story? Yes. It it doesn't make sense. The defense presented, okay, let me just say, even if they were gold diggers, you don't and brandish a gun at a woman unless you yeah. know she's threatening you. She's to coming steal your at money you with or, a knife. Yeah, I mean, like, is she trying to rob you? No. Well, even then, I think you know. Well, well if you're in my you house, know. you're trying to rob me. Yeah, that's a different story. But that's not what was happening here. Right. We knew that. The defense presented evidence that shed light on Spectre's mindset around the time that he dated these women. Um, they said that Spectre was grieving because of the loss of his son. So on December uh, 25th, Christmas Day in 1991, his nine-year-old son, Philip Jr., died of leukemia. Aww. Yeah. And, and if you remember, that's like day before his birthday. Oh, so and it's a Christmas, Christmas, and well, they're birthday. Jewish. He's Jewish, but still, so, yeah. Um, Philip Jr. died of leukemia. This tragedy caused Spectre to become even more withdrawn, and he never really seemed to recover from this terrible loss. In addition, they brought up Spectre's current physical health. Look at Mr. Spectre. He has Parkinson's features. He trembles. You know, he just was. So the defense is saying, you know, this is a sickly man. He could never have done such a thing. Mm-hmm. All right. He's just odd because his son died. Okay. Uh, uh, he was odd before. Yeah. But after closing arguments, the jury deliberated on um, the evidence on second degree murder charges, which is a 15, excuse me, a 15 year life sentence, 15. 15 to life sentence, but they could not agree. The jurors announced that there was a deadlock for, of 10 for guilty and two for not guilty. Long story short, on September 26, 2007, the judge declared a mistrial and the prosecution had to start all over again in the murder case against Phil Spector. Oh, God. I know. Such, I mean, a time waste, money waste, but, you know, whatever. The judge and the lawyers met on October 3rd, 2007 to discuss the future proceedings. Sandy Gibbons, the spokesperson for the district attorney's office, confirmed that preparations were being made to retry Spector immediately. Okay. In early December 2007, it was announced that San Francisco lawyer Duran Weinberg and the rest of the defense defense team agreed to serve Spectre's, as Spector's attorney and proposed that the retrial began September into September 2008. Members of Spector's previous de- defense team either resigned or were dismissed after the mistrial. I mean, it just seems this like, This man you know, has gone through some top attorneys Yeah, here. yes. Spector's team also tried to get the judge to step down from the bench because they said he showed bias against Specter. However, on April 11th, 2008, Specter lost that battle. A state appellate panel refused to order the um, appointment of a neutral judge to determine whether Judge Fiddler should remove, be removed from the trial. 
from the retrial, Fiddler previously refused to remove himself because he was like, no, that's bullshit. Jury selection in the murder retrial began on October 20th, 2008 with Judge Fiddler again. I think if it was me, I would just presenting. say, fine, I'm I'm recusing myself from this. But, you know, who knows? Sometimes these, these people like the, uh, they like the attention of a big trial like this. But I don't know. If it was me, I probably would have said, fine, whatever. You want a different judge, go for it. Maybe he kind of felt like that that was like saying, yeah. like admitting that he yeah, was biased. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Spectre looked frail as he entered the L.A. Superior Court, dressed in a black suit with a bright red tie. The jury took some 30 hours of deliberation to reach their unanimous guilty verdict. Oh, so that he's guilty now. Mm-hmm. Okay. The case went to the jury on March 27, 2009. On October 13th, the jury came April. back. That's April, sorry. April 13th, the jury came back with the verdict, convicting Spectre of second-degree murder. In addition, he was found guilty of use of a firearm in the commission of a crime. As the verdict was read out, Spectre remained quiet while his um, third wife, Rochelle, sobbed. Spectre married the model and aspiring actress in 2006, three years after the death of Lana Clarkson. Yeah, I don't think I'd be marrying him. Mm, not after the crazy stories. Not. Spectre was immediately taken into custody and was formally sentenced May 29, 2009 to 19 years to life in, Cali- in the California state prison system. Spectre will be 88 years old before he will become eligible for parole in 2025. Well, that's only five years from now yeah i bet he gets out well you said he's how old now 88 it'll be 88 before so right now but he's says he'll be 88 but i did the math earlier and it says he's 81 all right well he was born in 1939 so he would be 81 so whatever he'll be in his mid to late 80s when he's released if he's released i I mean do they keep old people that old in prison i mean i guess they do but that's odd yeah i think though he'll probably get out okay is he in a normal prison? No, he's actually in a healthcare facility. He's currently being held in California Healthcare Facility, a state prison for incarcerated patients with long-term medical needs or acute mental health needs. So he might. I mean, they might say, nope, you are still crazy as a football bat and you're going to stay here. His health continues to deteriorate. He, like we already said, he's 81 now. He's an old man. And who knows if he'll make it out alive? Yeah. Well, it's it's... It's definitely hard to survive as an old person in prison, for sure. Well, thank you for filling me in on Phil Spector. I feel like I know so much more about him. And I, I remember, like, seeing these bizarre pictures of him yeah. um, when I was younger. And I'm like, I had, like, snapshots of yeah. it, but that was it. Who is this guy? I don't know. But thank you. You're I do welcome. remember the trial and the media circus surrounding it. But, again, I never knew anything about him. Yeah, there was. I really thought it was before. Like, I remember the murder. I guess I'm remembering the murder. But I thought the trial was much earlier than 2009, also. Or, two, yeah, I mean, just he was sentenced I, I thought it was more towards closer towards the OJ okay yeah but maybe right. I'm thinking of something yeah. else I mean who knows alright listeners don't forget send us your screenshots of your five star rating and comment to a true crime podcast at gmail.com don't forget your address and your shirt size because we are super excited about our upcoming 50th episode giveaways and we want you to win yes we do well thank you so much for listening to this week's murder we appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We're so grateful to spend our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You, too, can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me.